have got a hairdressing legend with me today on my podcast. Just let me tell you a little bit of history first. I worked for his dad because I didn't know whether to be a chef or um, a hairdresser. I worked for Peter College, who was a living legend as a hairdresser in his own right in the days of Mr. Teasy Weezy, and it was a different style of hairdressing. And I remember him doing the most unbelievable birdcage and had two live songbirds inside the hair. It was amazing. I then became friends with his family, his lovely wife, and Peter sadly no longer with us, and Hazel is no longer with us, but his lovely wife... And if you see my autobiography, you'll know that she taught me and he taught me how to put something back. They taught me what charity was all about. So I owe this family an awful lot. I then became friends with Sarah and then I met Andrew. Andrew used to tell me the worst gags on this earth and think they were funny. I remember him running. It stayed with me forever, this, at the Moby Dick in West Kirby, running across. I go, Peter, I've got the best gag for you. Then I got to know him. Never thought in a million years he'd be a hairdresser. Never thought in a million years he'd be turning out to be a world hairdresser and change hairdressing completely because he went on this morning and revolutionised hairdressing. He's never forgotten who he is. I am with the fabulous Andrew Collins. How was that for an introduction? Wow, well, <laughs> should we just leave it at there? Yeah. But <laughs> well, it, that's the history lesson, isn't well, it? Well, it is, it is. You know, there's a great... Um, you, know, you know, that connection with... with the family, going back to, as you say, I don't remember your time when you were with, I think it was in West Kirby as an apprentice, wasn't it? West yeah, Kirby as yeah, apprentice yeah. and Cooper's. Oh, I Cooper's building, Cooper's yeah, 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 Hepworth Chambers. Yeah. But I do remember, you talk about the charity, I do remember that you and your chef's hat in, there was, you remember my mum and dad put on those it's great, been, yeah, yeah, those long. great sort of summer barbecues to raise money for a charity called Care at that time. What was St Christopher's School? Remember? And uh, school for adults with, le- well, for children with learning disabilities. Anyway, you, you generously gave it your time and you've always been very, you know, it, it, always been generous with your time supporting good causes. Yeah, so well, so I, thank I, you for I, that. Yeah. No, but I was very fond of your family and they did teach me so much. I also learned something else from your mum and dad. They gave their home and they had 300, 400 people there. There was never, ever any damage. It was respect. Yeah, I think, well, well, you're absolutely right. They were great events. I mean, I, I can vaguely, I mean, I was a sort of quite a young teenager then, and I, um, but I, I, I do remember them. And they, um, there was, a, I think there was also, there was like obviously dancing. and the, I think the garage was converted into a sort of dining area. And, that's and where casino, you, don't forget about um, the casino and, as well. Well, as you know, we had our great connection with uh, casinos from um, some of the staff that worked for us, families and staff that worked for us in Liverpool. And I think they brought the whole, they brought the tables over, the roulette table, till about 11 o'clock, then they had to take everything back to Liverpool. <laughs> so that's the background. Did you ever think, when you were at those parties, when you were growing up, did you ever think you'd go into hairdressing, and especially finishing up where you are? Um, the simple answer is no. Um, I did help in the salons a couple of times, and um, you know, and which um, I think used to really annoy the other apprentices because they'd work all they were there all year. And I'd come along and go, "Oh, that's Peter's son. He's going to wash me," and I get the tip at Christmas, and I think so. <laughs> The, um, so I used to go in and, and occasionally help then. Uh, but in answer to your question, I don't think it, it ever would... I would have thought of it. And 
I didn't really, um, I didn't really excel ac academically. And I was at Birkenhead Tech, actually. I did a business course and it wasn't really going, I wasn't really enjoying it. And um, I remember my father at the time, as you, you say, he was a competition hairdresser. He was president then of what's called the Fellowship of British Hairdressing. And as president, he used to judge these competitions. And he was going with mum around Europe to judge these big events in Paris and, Be and Berlin and uh, Brussels. And he said he didn't really want me just being in the Moby Dick, as you mentioned before, all summer. Uh, so we went, right, you can get, I'll get you a job in one of the salons. And it was in the West Kirby one, which we no longer have, but it was in the West Kirby Peter Collins salon. And I really enjoyed it. And when he came back, I said, um, in fact, there was, as you know, there was uh, one of his great um, members of the team that worked with John and uh, with Dad was John Miller. And it, uh, when he was away, and I said to John, you know, I really fancy doing hairdressing. So I signed up there and then, and that was it. But probably because the family was because the family were hairdressers. But whether I would have been a hairdresser, but having said that. As you're, as you're aware, we're now a major training provider for apprentices within the Northwest. And I, forever extolling the virtues of hairdressing as a skill for life. And it's, it's, you can really do really well in hairdressing in, in whatever area you want to go. Was I right in assuming, can I remember, was your grandfather a barber? Yeah, we started off 83 years ago on Muirhead Avenue in West Derby, uh, Collinges. And he was a barber. Um, amazingly, they opened the salon in 1940, which is in the war. I mean, how many people would open a business in Liverpool? And the reason he was, I think he worked on the ships. He was a ship's barber, worked for Elder Dempster, a shipping line out of Liverpool. And when the war came, um, he was basically, the ship was seconded by the Navy and he lost his job. So he had to find a way of earning income. So he opened a salon. Uh, he was a barber. And my grandmother, Molly, who I'm sure you, you met, um, she wasn't a hairdresser, but she ran the business. So there was like a lady's side and there was a barber side. All I remember was she was a scary lady. She was. <laughs> but she loved me. She actually <laughs> loved me. And I've had some fabulous Christmas days having um, Christmas dinner around the table. Andrew, when did you start to realise that it was a business and a half? Yeah, your dad was very successful. But right, you said to John... I'll sign up. But when did you sort of go, whoa? Well, I think there was quite a big, there was a big thing happening in the 70s. Um, hairdressing up till that point was competition. To make a profile, you had to do competition hairdressing. And you, dad competed, you know, he competed with the likes of Vidal Sassoon, um, who, you know, undoubtedly is the most famous hairdresser of, 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 of all time in, in, as far as British hairdressing goes because he revolutionised haircutting and everything else that went with it but Dad and Vidal competed together but in the 70s there was a start of more um, events like the trade journal Hairdressers Journal did an event called Salon International and we had a small training school in the St John's Centre we had a, the Peter College Study Centre and we'd go down there and do demonstrations um, and I think I might have gone down to assist and I just loved the buzz of um, 
of, of that type of world. There were hairdressers doing hairdressing shows, doing really creative things with hairdressing. And uh, there was no social media in those days, so it was, everything had to really be done live, and it was photographed and put in hair magazines. And I was very fortunate. I decided after a couple of years I really wanted to go and go to London. And we had a wonderful stylist with us, who's sadly no longer with us, called Debbie Cook. And she won a competition called the Wella Vogue Award, and the Wella Vogue competition. And it was judged by two hairdressers, Michael Razza and John Isaacs, of a son called Michael John in London. And... I, just off Bond Street? Yeah, just in, yeah, in Albemarle Street, just in Albemarle Street. And um, I spoke to them and said, in fact, it was my mother that spoke to them, you know, and, it's, um, and just said, you know, our Andrew is wanting to go and spend some time in London. So they said, well, he can come and finish his apprenticeship with, 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 with us. And that, for me, was a big break because Michael was a legend both legendary hairdressers, and they did what you'd call star's hair. This was before even the word celebrity was around. So I think one of the first things I'd do, I was in a suite in the Dorchester handing up pins for Michael as he was doing Liz Taylor's hair. I mean, you know, it was incredible opportunities. Michael did lots of members of the royal family, so I'd assist on that. And, um, but there was also a hairdresser there called Robert Lebetter, and in the industry, he again is, he was regarded as probably the most avant-garde hairdresser of his time, and he did the most incredible um, creative work with long hair. And going to London, I lived in a hostel actually, it's where I met Liz, my wife, who, you know, we're very happily met, God, he's getting on for, <laughs> getting on for a long time. And anyway, we met and we married in London. And, um, but in this, um, so I was living in this hostel, and it was pretty, you know, it didn't, it was no real sort of urge to go back home at night, you know, you know, there was no real family in London. Um, so Robert was always in the salon working on his hair, and I asked, could I assist him? And he then started to do some really big events. And, you know, you, I think you can make your own luck. And I certainly, there was one very lucky break for me there. Robert left Michael John um, for some reason, I don't know why. And we were about to do a big show for Weller at World Hair in Dusseldorf. This is 1978, 1980 maybe. And Robert, and I knew the secrets basically because I'd assisted him so much. So Michael just said to me one day, you know, get on a plane, you, you've got to, we're, we booked, we've been booked to do this demonstration. You're going to have to represent the, the salon. And so I, I'd started, and it was sort of weaving hair. It was a very sort of, it was very big in the late 80s. Um, and, and that's always been, I've always had a love of long hair and it gave me a, a great opportunity. And for the next three or four years, I worked a lot with Weller, just really traveling around the world, just doing showcasing hairdressing. Your wife became your backbone, didn't she? And she's been very important to you in your career. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, um, we're very much a team, you know, and it, it, it's sort of startup. Liz, Liz was trained to be an optician. She comes from Gloucestershire. She, she was in the same hostel training to be an optician. She had lovely long hair, so I used to use her as my model for practicing hairstyles. She then modeled for me in some of the hair shows I just told about. And then she enjoyed doing, she really loved that side of it. And I think because of working on, on, on you know, working on the face, working with optics, she was always been fascinated by uh, makeup. So she, she did a makeup course herself and then started working with me as a makeup artist. So nearly every photograph we've worked on for the last, getting on for 45 years, Liz has always done the makeup with me. But, and going, if I can jump forward slightly, we came back to Liverpool in the, in the mid 80s, um, started a family, 
had our son Charlie, who is now, well, I'm sure we'll come to that later, but he's, you know, he's now uh, running the business, so it's now fourth generation. Um, but um, I came back from, from um, I was working back in Liverpool, working back with dad, having had this sort of bit of a roller coaster time with, you know, all these stars and shows around the world in London. And um, so I sort of, I wouldn't say resign myself. I thought, well, I'll come back, you know, work for the family business. Um, and then out of the blue, got a phone call. Um, there was a TV show having a pilot run in Liverpool. Let me stop you there because we'll come back to that in a minute. Yeah, okay. I want to go back to London because there's a story I loved you telling me and I've told a few things. I think I've changed the names, but I remember it, at one of your first flats, the two of you together having dinner with you yeah. and I said, oh, I love that rug. And you said, that was my tip from... <laughs> Did you drive? Was it Mr. and Mrs. Delcy Toilet Rolls? Or you went to some home? We called it the, du- the Duke of Wellington rug. That's what it was. Tell us a story, because it's a great story. Um, well, it's a bit name-droppy. Oh, no, please, excuse me. You're talking to me, Bryce. The autobiography, name-drop. Come on, name-drop, please. It's a great story. Well, a client of mine that I used to work, use at Michael John was... Um, I hadn't really given it much thought, but her name, Gillette. Okay? Yeah, Razors. Yes. Mrs. Gillette. Mrs. Gillette. And she came over from London. And I think she'd come over like what they call a shooting weekend or something. And she said, oh, we're, we're, um, we're, we're, we're staying in, in the country this weekend. And could you come down and do my hair? We've got a big dinner. A Princess Margaret's going to be there. And, and I, I said, so I, so I said to... So, I said to Liz, well, let's have a drive out. So in my little mini, we drive, and we end up going to what it was the actual Duke of Wellington's house. I think it's called Saltsy Say. I think the house is near Basingstoke. Massive long drive. And we get there, and basically, it is a shooting party. I think they basically were staying guests of the Wellingtons, whether they bought the place for the weekend. And I'm slightly embellishing it, but it was literally four other couples, and I think it was Mr. and Mrs. Coca-Cola, Mr. and Mrs. Kleenex, <laughs> and Mr. and Mrs. Gillette. And, and um, anyway, we did their hair, and it was all because part of the day, part of the weekend was that Princess Margaret would 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 host a dinner, uh, would be guest of honour at a dinner. Anyway, when we left, did the hair. Everyone was very nice, and uh, this chap came up, and he went. Like, me and the boys, you know, really like, you know, thank you for coming out and do the girls' hair and all the rest. And, you know, this is just a little something from us. And he handed me this, it was like an envelope. I've never felt such a fat envelope. It was like, like a wedge. And I go, oh, that's very kind. So we drove and I thought what, was, what seemed like a, a, a reasonable distance from the house stopped the cars. <laughs> <laughs> Open the envelope to count the money. Anyway, Liz and I just got married and we, we had this flat in, in um, Hammersmith and we went out and spent the money on a rug which we called the Duke of Wellington. Which is a lovely rug. Have you still got the rug? No. Oh, wow. <laughs> now, you were approached. There's so much to talk about. There's so much. We will jump to when you came back to Liverpool. When you were spoken about with TV, did it hit you what it was? to do hairdressing on TV? Because well, you were a novice, you'd never done it before, had you? I know, but it, it, there, was a, there was an era, there was a, it, it was hairdressing in this country particularly, going back to, we were saying this sort of, the world of show hairdressing, there were hairdressers the likes of Trevor Sorby was, you know, was a big name in the industry, obviously, and still is. Um, um, 
saw, this was pre-people like Nicky Clark. So we're talking probably... Um, it was revolutionary. Yeah. It was the yeah. first, basically. Yeah. Trevor, Trevor saw me. There was a couple in, in Scotland called the Rusks, uh, Irvin and Rita Rusk, um, who did amazing work. And there was Robert the Better uh, and, and a fantastic hairdresser who I've got huge, you know, who, who I feel... I talked about Sassoon revolutionising it, but the most modern hairdresser I think of his generation to revolution in the last 20 years has been Anthony Muscolo, of, you know, who found, brothers founded Tony and Guy. Um, but... I'm slightly gone off track. The point is, um, the the question was: Did you realise? Did you did you realise the power of television? Did no. you realise what it was going to be? No, no. Well, I yeah. No, that's why I brought up those people because there was a show just prior to that called the Clothes Show. Right, Jeff, I remember the Clothes yeah, Show. Yes, with Jeff Banks yeah, and yeah. Selena yeah, yeah. Scott yeah. back in those days, and they started featuring hair quite a lot. And I think people love to see transformations. They weren't necessarily doing makeovers. It was more doing the hair behind, at fashion shows. And, and I, did, I, got, I got to do the odd... Um, so the clothes show in fairness was, I think, the start of hairdressing being seen as a medium. But the thing... But I always felt that hairdressing would be entertaining television. Yeah. And then we're talking about late 80s when there wasn't really what you'd call daytime television then. So this morning had to be, the brief for this morning had to be adult education. It had to have some educational value. So there'd be like a doctor, there would be food, there'd be, there had to be, it couldn't just, I mean, which is probably still the brief of the show now. And hair and fashion was on the Friday. It was a bit of more of a fluffy feature. And um, what happened was um, literally... They, they planned the show, and this morning was a five-day-a-week show, and they had producers from London. Made it to produce, each show had a producer. And I got a feeling a lot of them had come up from London or, or from over from Manchester, and they realised they were going to do a fashion feature. Uh, the fashion editor at that time was a lady called Leslie Ebbets, who was the, I think, fashion editor of the Daily Mirror. And she had said, well, we really need a hairdresser. We're going to do fashion. We're going to do a, uh, a makeover, you know, type thing. And... Um, Going back to making your own luck, the, the, what, another big thing that's happened in British hairdressing over the years has been the British Hairdressing Awards. And they started in the mid-80s. And I entered the competition. And I always say to our people here, if you're not in it, you can't win it. And we always encourage people to enter competitions because it's a great way of building your profile. And I entered British Hairdressing Year and I won the region, the Northwest region, for the first three years. So when this morning came to Liverpool, a researcher at the desk said, well, we need a hairdresser. Didn't really know the area. And phoned Hairdresser's Journal and said, we're looking for a hairdresser in, in, this, in the Liverpool area. Can you recommend one? And they went, well, the Northwest Hairdresser of the Year is Andrew, yeah, yeah. is Andrew Collins. So that's my story about making a break. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. If you're not in it, you can't win it. So I got the call. I went and had a chat with them, showed them some of my work. Uh, didn't do a screen test or anything. We just showed, it was, I can pick. I can remember it, it was the Colonnade. You know the Albert Dock, yeah, and, yeah. and the office went moved to where the pump house is now, but where the big building is. Uh, but the, originally the office was in the Colonnade uh, near the studio in the corner. And I remember going upstairs having a chat with uh, Diane Nelms. She was the first producer and editor of the show, and or was it a guy called Andrew Seralia? Anyway, there are all these people, big names in, in television world then and are now, and they said. Um, Great. Do you know a make? We will you, I said you're going to. You need a makeup. Do you know a makeup artist? And I wow. went, well, it's funny you should mention that. Anyway, so we got. In, and then they said, well, well, we'll do a makeover. And 
they didn't really have anyone to choose then. And there was, there was a, a lady work called Val, who I, I still see. And, um, and she was working in the, in the um, Val Bird. She was working in, the, in the, the Albert Office Dock, I think, company. And she said, we went in there and said, does anyone like a hair? Anyone like a haircut for tomorrow's show? So Val said, I'll have it cut. And one of the things we did, and no one ever really knew, knew we did this, we prepped the hair the day before. So her hair was quite long and it was dark, for example. And I coloured one half of it blonde or blonder, but then flipped the parting back so it looked dark. So at the beginning you go, well, here's Val, you know, um, we're going to cut her hair into a bob, a long bob, and, and uh, we didn't talk too much about the colour because we had an hour. So anyway, when I came to cut it, cut it into the bob, flipped the hair over into a nut onto her other part, which I pre-coloured. So when the before shot was Val with long, lovely hair, but long, dark hair, second shot, blonde Bob. And it was real, like, a wow moment. And it's, it's, like, <laughs> it's like the old cookery. Here's one I did yesterday. <laughs> well, exactly. And Tell me, how, how long did it go on for? Well, Richard, Richard, I remember Richard saying, wow, that's great. And um, writing, if you want... No emails in those days. Writing, if you want a makeover. And we got something like... Something like 5,000 letters came wow. in. Overnight, they just poured in. So we ended up doing the show. Liz and I did the show for the whole time it was in Liverpool, and the first year it was in London. So we did, getting on for 10 years. So 10 years on this morning yeah. with Judy and Richard. That, that, that's incredible. So you were recognised as a personality. You made a new, because you had the clothes show, then all of a sudden we go to this level. So you've now got hairdressing and you make it exciting for people to go in the hairdressing business because also a lot of people wanted to be apprentices because they'd seen you two working and they went, that's for me. Yeah, it, 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 did, it did raise profile. And, you know, and they did a lot of research and they're always researching the show. Yeah. You know, what are your favourite items? Who are your favourite presenters? And hair invariably came out as, as one. And so much so we ended up doing hair on two days a week, yeah. Tuesdays and Fridays. Were you disappointed when it finished? Truthfully? Or had you had enough? I felt, I suppose, to be perfectly honest, I... It was a bit like a little fiefdom up here. There was no real... I mean, I was, we, we brought other hairdressers on from time to time. I, I did, I, I, during that time, I was president of the fellowship myself. And I remember bringing on, I think it was Anthony and... and, and um, um, Trevor Sorby. Trevor Sorby, and I've got feeling Charles and Nicky, yeah. Charles Worthington, Nicky Clark. So hair, hairdressing was quite good. When the show went to London, one of the great things about the show being in Liverpool is you could literally do it in the morning and initially I'd, I'd, I'm not salon I stopped salon hairdressing after a while but I'd be back behind the chair at one o'clock having appeared on national television it was, I mean, it was really quite show going to London it was a different vibe personally I don't think it, 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 it for me it sort of lost something it was a bit of a performance to you know to go to to London. I'll jump in there and agree with you completely. What was also brilliant for us, because they were bringing people like Gladys Knight, the Bips, because all the big stars, they came on Radio City, which I was working for. Course, they yeah. came on Granada, they went on BBC, and it brought so much mm. to Liverpool. And I think people were really, really angry when it moved down south. Well, I'm not quite sure. I mean... No, the public. No, no, yes, no, no, yeah. I'm not sure how much... I mean... You'd, we'd need to ask them. I'm not sure if, if whether 
whether Judy wanted to go or enjoyed it as much as Richard, say, yeah. wanted to go. I really don't know. But it sort of lost a bit of it. didn't seem to be um, that sort of vibe that it had when it, when it was in Liverpool. Yeah. The backdrop in Liverpool was incredible. Well, there was a oh. backdrop in London, but it wasn't the same backdrop. Um, and the, the sort of... Whether, there was another show starting called The Star Challenge, uh, which was a BBC show which made Mako much slicker. They, they had this massive mirror they turned at the end and they did VTs, they did films before. And it was, and, I'd, and I think there was that sort of, I felt the makeover slot was not as, it, it sort of lost something. It didn't have the same um, support or... But you or, were the start, you were the start. Now the first one's always, yeah. people remember, listen, we could talk forever about this. Let's leave that aside now because we know about the TV and this could go on for hours because you're such an interesting guy. Your son runs the business now. Did he want to go into hairdressing? <laughs> no. <laughs> he graduated in... You see, there's this slight anomaly in hairdressing. We keep saying hairdressing is a fantastic career, but my parents... I went, because they were travelling a lot, I, I, I went away to school, yeah? Now, Charlie didn't, but I did. So you do that, and then you do a, you know, well, I didn't actually, as I said before, I didn't academically do that well. Um, if I had academically done that well, I probably would have gone to university. And if I'd gone to university, would I then started as an apprentice hairdresser? So there is, there is, but having said that, I don't feel, and I know there's a lot of talk of this, whether every, apprentices are really being built up now. Sorry, I'll come back to your question about Charlie, but princes are now really being given the respect that they should have. And you know, a vocational skill is a real great skill to have. Now, the government want to invest. They want princes to be seen very much like Germany. So, you know, apprenticeship with Rolls-Royce and apprenticeship with, the, you know, British Aerospace, which is great. Um, and, but you shouldn't also forget that the, the traditional apprenticeships, like hairdressing is a very successful apprenticeship. Most people that do apprenticeships in hairdressing do end up being qualified and going on to, to gaining a career. And let me stop you there. If they get that, they can travel the world yeah. with that. Once they're in an apprenticeship and they've got it, they can go anywhere in the world on the ships. They can work anywhere in the world. Yeah. So it's important to do that. Well, it, it, it is important to do that. And I think there is a, you know, maybe in a minute we could have a chance to give you my thoughts on, on the industry and, and, and apprenticeships and, and some of the government policy, but at the moment... Well, fi finish yeah, Charlie yeah, first, but going back, we'll go yeah, to that. Yeah, but going back to Charlie, so... In exactly what I just said, Charlie, he went to, he went to school in Birkenhead, went to Birkenhead School, great school. And he, 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 he did really well, he, he, and he, graduated, he went to university, he graduated, and he, he graduated in design, um, furniture design. And he worked for a company, a couple of companies, but ended up working in London uh, for a great company called Vitsu. It's a sort of really cool um, design company that's been going for, for 50, 60 years. And he became their operations manager and they were opening showrooms in Tokyo and New York. So he was really great. He married, um, he married Jess, who's from Manchester, uh, and, you know, great girl, and they, they've been, you know, happily married. They've got two kids. And, but when they started a family in London, I think he felt that it was, you know, um, felt it was time to maybe think about, like I did, it's not an easy place to bring up a family in London. The company we're working for, we're going to relocate out to, out to uh, Levington Spa, and they it didn't do it. It, didn't, it fell through for a year, so their plans were put on hold. 
I felt, my sister Sarah, who mentioned before as our training director, she was wanting to retire. Um, I was thinking, you know, I've never really, we've never really thought about building up the business to sell it. It's just, we've always just felt about running the business. I mean, we've got so many people that have worked for us for all their lives. You know, we just feel it's a family business and our team are our family as well in that sense. So I, but I was also feeling a little bit like, you know, the world's changing. There was lots going on in terms of like the way of business being run, particularly with, you know, um, introduction of, of IT, online booking, social media, everything you need to run a successful business now. And I felt that, you know, I was going to be left wanting on this. And it was either bringing in someone else, uh, but as I say, Charlie at that time, so he hadn't, wasn't really thinking about it. So I went and saw him and I put it to him. And I said, why don't why you come, you know, you know, I know you need, you're thinking of leaving London. If you're going to leave London, Jess is from Manchester. You know, why don't you, why don't you come back north? And why did he run the business? And the rest is history. And the rest, is, and he's done. And you know what? He's been. You know, he he. It it was the best decision that that we made at the time because when COVID started, we had to really, really start thinking on our feet. Particularly things like introducing online bookings and you know the whole thing that came with with COVID and everything else. And he, so he brought a different dimension. He, he, to and it. I think I'm not sure how we would have got through that mm-hmm. if I would if I had been running the company. That's amazing. Andrew, we haven't got too long because I could talk to you forever, but we will talk about apprenticeships. When I was an apprentice, and I got very cross on radio about this a few times, when somebody said, I'm not going into slave labour making coffees and brushing floors. And I used to say, you're not making coffee and brushing floors. You're making coffee, brushing floors and asking questions. You're watching what the colour, how the colour works, how the... So it is, why should they pay you a great deal of money when you're actually doing nothing and I've had lots of rows over this apprenticeships are incredibly important you have changed the face of apprenticeships in this country tell us briefly about it well you're absolutely right and money money has improved vastly more than in in terms of keeping up with inflation if it had been well no inflation is high at the moment if it had been going back to the times you're talking about and you've got to remember the training wage is only for year one. After year two, it kicks into whatever age you are. So if you take up, we take on apprentices who are a lot of school leavers, but we take on apprentices who aren't school leavers. So the, so the, the wage will be relevant to what the, 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 the minimum wage is in, and other salons, and salons might pay more, uh, like, like we would do uh, on, on that for the, for the apprentices. But going back to the point you're making, it isn't just about you know, making coffee and brushing the floor. We, for example, it's so much more structured now with, with what's called now the hair professional, which has an endpoint assessment, which teaching guilds have to test. The, the point of that is that it's now um, very, very much structured. So you would work in a salon as an assistant. You've seen apprentices in this salon here today. Um, yes, initially, as you're just getting started, you've got to start somewhere. So it will be, you know, you know learning the ropes and all the rest. But as you progress, you will be going to college because we're a training provider, uh, which is something completely separate. We train for lots of salons in the area. So you'd go to college one day a week, which is where you get practical experience. You also get practice style sessions in the salon to be trained. And then as you work towards the end of your second year, you're doing more and more hairdressing. So after two years, you are if you pass your endpoint assessment, you are a qualified hairdresser. You might then go on to do a more advanced 
what would be called level three or what is now called the senior create the creative and advanced apprenticeship uh, hair professional um, but it's it's a tried and trusted way and the fact is when you've completed and you're with a good salon and, a, and, a, and an owner of that salon and a team in that salon that will take you under your wing and really support you, you will come out with, with a skill, as you say, which you, can, you, could, you could be the busiest stylist in your salon. You could be a salon owner. You could uh, open your own business. You, know, you could quite often work on the, the ships, you know, there's, you know, the amount of cruise ships coming along on stream, there's hairdressers and everyone. Or you can work on what's called session hairdressing, which is fashion shows. So the point that's happening in our industry, and this is quite, you know, it, it, the government have been, things have been addressed. We've worked hard behind the scenes. The government have been cutting fund, cut funding in apprenticeship training. And they've been putting, they've been putting a lot of their backing into what they call T-levels. Now, T-levels is something where you go, you learn uh, a skill through a college of further education. I'm obviously biased because I think the best way to become a hairdresser is through an apprenticeship in a salon um, because of the on-work experience you get. A T-level can be seen, it's called transferable skills. It sounds great, you learn a bit of this, you learn a bit of that. Um, you'll go to a, a salon for one day a week for... Uh, salon, you know, but it's, it's not proven it's going to work. It's actually been pushed, they've kicked it into the long grass for a while. And I feel, I think the government have realised that the best way to, an apprenticeship is the, the right way to do it. I'm not saying, you know, there are some great colleges of further education that do, that do, that deliver good, head, good training. But in reality, it's, it's proven that the, the uh, career in hairdressing should be through an apprentice in a salon. It's interesting you say that. I remember, because I left um, hairdressing and concentrated on my catering, and I remember having people from university who had been taught everything about catering, but they hadn't been taught how to handle people. And when that guy was complaining about the eight-ounce steak, he did not know how to say. So I agree with you. You have to be on the floor in a salon. You have to learn people skills. You and you not. Talk. I totally agree with you. Yeah, and I and I, and I think the the, the the proof is in the. The, the, you know, the, the record of us as a company and other good hairdressing companies in the country. It's not just us. But, you know, so going back to my parents, something they always believed in. I mean, they started... We started... My mother was involved with the pilot scheme of what was called YTS back I in remember the day. it. Yeah. I remember and, it. And we are... We're, we... Over 50% of hairdressers that, that qualify as an, an, a, do an apprenticeship in the, in the Merseyside region do it through college and co-training. Um, so we train for about 110 local salons, which is not just our own. So they, we have a, we have a, a salon in Bowl Street uh, called Graduates, and that is, a, that is a college. And it's a great, I just love it. And the client, we are so fortunate because we have great tutors, many of whom have trained themselves with us. They might do a few days in the salon and they might do a few days training. Um, so we've got great tutors, but we also have clients that have been coming to us for generations and they still want to be part of the college family. So even though they might not come to the flagship salon on Castle Street, they will go to our training school and they, I'll go in there and they'll walk past and they'll go, Andrew, this one's going to be great. 
they know, it, yeah. they know themselves. I remember your dad telling me, Peter Collins, and I'm talking to Andrew Collins, I remember Peter saying to me, I will retire the day I lose my last client. And he did. He stayed till well, he, he learned. I'm not sure. He's about 111. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I mean, he retired. He actually retired. He, he, he's now younger than me. You know, when he was 65, he, he retired. Mm. I mean, he obviously kept involved with the business, but he, I think mum was very keen that he retired. I'm not sure he really wanted, you know. No, I don't it, think he wanted it, to at all. But I, it, but I think... Because he, he was in a world of his yeah, own. He'd given, but he'd given so much. Yeah. And I think they then had a very happy retirement, you know, and, they, and, and I think that was important. Yeah. I've got to finish. God, I could go on forever. In fact, we've got to do a part two, because this is superb. I remember you telling me a story, and I've never forgotten it, was when you took him to Japan... And he met the managing director of the biggest company in the world. He was on stage and Peter, and correct me if I'm wrong, Peter started brushing the floor to which they freaked. Then when the managing director bowed, he bowed and he bowed. And it went on for hours, didn't it? <laughs> Am I right on that story? Well, yeah, I mean, it was a show in, in Tokyo and it was, one of the, it was one of those things that I'd brought back from London and we'd never, the company had never really done you know, Dad had done his competition work, but we'd never really got on a plane, put it this way, with a team of stylists from the salon. And so that was some of the connections I'd built up in London. So off we went to Tokyo to do this big show. And we took local models from Liverpool. I mean, it was a great... It was a day when you couldn't fly in one stop. You had to stop in Alaska on the way. Uh, anyway, we went off to Tokyo to do this show. And Dad wasn't planning to come. He wasn't really... He wasn't one of the. He wasn't part of the, the creative team. He was, you know, he wasn't. He, he, he wasn't planned to come. But they, as chairman of the company, they insisted he come. So we made this lovely film about Liverpool, the Beatles, because they love their music in Tokyo and the, the Beatles. So we did this great little film, and we showed it. And I was on stage. Liz was was modelling for me at that time. Talked about Liz modelling. The wonderful Debbie I talked about was on stage as well. So you know, it was a it was a great time for the company. And they said. Now is the chance to introduce the founder and chairman, because they, you know, so with, you know, with great reverence, Dad comes on stage, feeling uncomfortable. He just didn't really want all this. So they, we have a translator and they interview him, you know, all the rest. Anyway, I'm cutting hair on stage. And he's, <laughs> anyway, he's obviously clocking the amount of hair on stage. So, I, so he goes off stage, you know, as you say, with this bowing ceremony, all the rest, thank you very much, flying over, the chairman, founder of the company, off he goes. Two seconds later, he comes back with a brush. Starts brushing the floor. Well, he thought it was funny. You know, it, it was... Um, they, they were, the audience must have been mortified. They were horrified. And they, <laughs> they, they were wrestling the brush off him. Uh, I don't think they got his sense of humour. Anyway. He was, he, was, he was amazing. Will you ever retire? Um, I, I, I would say I'm easing off, but I, you know... Charlie's not a hairdresser, as you said before. I mean, he's brought great stuff to the business and, 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 and that, is, that is fantastic. And we've got, you know, very much, we talk about the business being a family business. We've got, you know, 99% of our stylists trained with us from school and are still with us. We have second generations of staff working for us now. So um, my daughter, Ella, is a graphic designer and her husband, Guy, they have a, they do, we've rebranded, as you probably know, we're now Collins & Co., which has gone down really well with the team. It's gone down really well with the, the media, the press, the industry, because they see it as, you know, it's a positive story. It's taking us into, you know, take us up to 100 years. That's our plan and beyond. Um, 
So I don't think you can just walk away from a... Because often people say to me, when are you going to retire? I don't think you can just say, I'm, I'm, I'm off. But I still get a buzz. Like yesterday I was in the college and I, I do induction for our first year apprentices. So I take the first session, you know, just this is how I hold hair. This is how I, you know, it's only little tips. I'm, I'm not, you know, we, the tutors do the really heavy stuff. They're the ones delivering all the classes and, and everything else. But I, so I do that. Um, but I, I don't have that, pre- I don't feel that pressure now that ultimately the, you know, Charlie and his team's got a great management team as well. They're taking it. Liz is very much still more involved. She does all our HR, and HR is really important. You know, can you imagine? We've got over 100, yeah. 100 employees, so HR is really is very important. You know, she, we, I think we're proud that we have great staff, and I think we're also proud that we, 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 you know, we treat them, you know, we're, we're there for people as well. Yeah. You know, Liz is great for doing that. So going back to your question, I think we'll just gently just... Drift away and... Um... You drift rather than retire. <laughs> Two questions left. One, what would you say... Well, I'll, 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 I'll say the negative one. Now, this is not Andrew Collins, this is Evie. Why is hairdressing so expensive to buy? Why are hairdressers... Why is it so... It is expensive. What? To what? get your hair done. Well... Not you, everyone. I think it's, it's demand, it's time. I mean, ironically, our busiest... We have different grades of stylists in our salons. And as they're more experienced, they get promoted. And invariably, it's the stylists who are the highest level, charging the highest price, who are the fully, fully booked. Wow. So there is an option to buy. In a college salon, you can go from a training school for a five pound heck uh, blow dry up to you know, a, a star director in our flagship salons right. here or in Selfridges in Manchester. So you, 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 so there is, so you can buy in different, you know, you can buy in different, different, um, you go to a restaurant generally. That's so it's the like, price. Yeah, yeah. So you can buy in in different levels. Yeah, yeah. So you can shop in around in the salon. So it's supply and demand. The top hairdressers will want remunerating well. Um, it's important for us to keep our, to keep our team. I mean, losing hairdressers is, is a really, is, 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 it can be really damaging to the business. We have big rents to pay here. Uh, so we've got to make sure we keep our team happy. So the prices, you know, go there. I mean, without sounding like, you know, I'm being like, woe is us. It's a lot, there's a lot more cost now. There's a seriously lot more which cost. Is, with, which with is running, You know, the, um, the suppliers cost a lot more. The, I mean, just generally cost. And there's a lot more employment costs, which is right. You know, there's uh, pension contributions, national insurance contributions, all, all those. So <coughs> when you take away all those things, there isn't a lot of money left at the end. So the prices are really relevant to the rising costs. So it's, uh, it's, um, it, 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 it is that, but it, you know, it is, it is not, it is, um, how can I put it? It's the client will vote with their feet. Yeah, so they wouldn't come to you if they didn't want exactly. to pay it. Last question, why should somebody become a hairdresser? People are listening to this now, why should somebody become a hairdresser? Well, don't become a hairdresser if you, if you work shy, because it is a, it's like, you know, I mean, you're a great example of someone that, you know, loves work and works hard. Uh, but, you know, when you're a hairdresser, when you're a chef, you know, it's, you're, you're, you're on your feet, so you're working. But if you love making someone's day, you know, you've got to treat every client as the, this is the most important person in my chair. 
this haircut I'm going to do now is going to be the best haircut. This colour I'm going to do is going to do the best haircut. And when you see the, the, the job satisfaction you get from doing that, from being creative, is you, you, it, that's, that, that is, that is the attraction. That's why you should be a hairdresser. Plus, all the opportunity. Ambition knows no, the, the sky is the limit in hairdressing. I could reel off a couple of hairdressers, I think I just mentioned one before, Anthony Muscola, um, John Frieda. You know, they started as 16-year-old hairdressers and they run or ran you know, multi-million pound product ranges and lines and all the rest. So there is, there is, there is no, there's, there's no cap in hairdressing. You can, you can really, you can be creative, but you can also be very, very successful. How can people find out about the school? Okay, well, we've just taken on our intake, so we've got 64 new apprentices starting next week. Um, but if you go, obviously, if you go on, well, not obviously, if you go on the College & Co website under, um, under apprenticeships, you can then look at maybe applying for the next cohort, which will be this time next year. Um, so that's how, you'd, that's, that, that's, how you'd, that's how you'd do it with us. And, and um, it's... But we're, you know, we're very honest with people and we do, we do quite intensive interviews. We really want to make sure that don't do hairdressing if you, and don't let anyone put you down because you're doing hairdressing. It's, don't be, if you can't think of anything else, become a hairdresser. You'll, you, it doesn't work like that. You can't be a hairdresser unless you're really, really passionate about hairdressing and, 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 and want to do it. Simple as that. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Why not subscribe? You know it's free. So join us and tell your friends. It's great going on walks and doing whatever you want to do and then putting P-Price on. We've got a back catalogue of over 100 interviews. Join us. Subscribe. It's free.